There are lots of reasons I became a UU, but one of the most important was our seventh principle. You might be sitting there nervously trying to recall which one is the seventh principle, so let me remind you. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. So the first first six principles were adopted in 1961. The seventh was added in 1985 when the UU was reworking the original six. So you could say it was an afterthought, but I contend that adoption of the seventh principle was a reflection of the UU keeping up or probably catching up with what scientists have been learning about biology and the environment in the last 100 years. That is that we really are part of an interdependent web of life that connects all living things. That growing awareness of interconnectedness is what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to use my own personal story to illustrate parts of it. I'm proposing that we're more interconnected than most of us realize today and that the seventh principle will become more and more important as scientists learn even more about life. I need to make a quick disclaimer. I'm going to be talking about our view of nature. And when I say our view, I'm talking about the white European view of nature that has shaped most of the laws and policies of the United States. Indigenous peoples, and those in many other countries, societies have different views of nature. I want to acknowledge those differences, but focus on the predominant view of nature here and how it's evolved over, the t- over time. So I was born in 1952 in Salt Lake City, Utah. And as a child, I have clear memories, people stopping at the popular D's hamburger stand, ordering a burger, fries and Coke, then dumping their trash out the car window as they drove away. It was frowned upon by some in the 50s, but it happened all around us. Perhaps Utah was, Utah was, people in Utah were unusually oblivious to environmental issues and that the areas where you grew up were much different, but I, I doubt it. I think back on those days and I wonder, what did this blatant and thoughtless littering tell us about attitudes in that era? And I think it reveals that littering just didn't matter. Most of the waste generated in those days would eventually decay because the packaging was paper or cardboard. But besides, I think we had this sense that the planet was huge and our footprint was insignificant. A little litter or pollution wasn't going to hurt anything. Of course, a few, at least a few people knew that wasn't true. The so-called Great Smog of London in 1952 killed 4,000 people in five days and sickened another 100,000 people, prompting some of the world's first air pollution controls. Closer to home, there are all sorts of other problems. DDT was almost wiped out the Peregrine Falcon. The Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught fire 50 years ago this month because of all the toxic waste dumped in it. The Love Canal and waste seeping into homes and schools. These were just some of the early reminders that we're all interconnected. What someone dumps in the air, land, or water can affect the rest of us. As a teenager, 
I was caught up in this new environmental movement and dreamed of doing something that might make a difference. In 1970, right after I turned 18, I got a job at the Salt Lake Tribune, Utah's largest newspaper. My goal was to someday become the paper's environmental writer. And I achieved that goal when I was 30 years old and covered environmental issues for the next 20 years. So covering the environment in a conservative place like Utah was a fascinating and frequently frustrating job. The all-powerful Mormon church and its state legislature were opposed to most environmental measures. And I came to see my job as most simply key, informing the readers about the consequences of their leaders' bad decisions. While Utah lagged far behind, the rest of the nation was becoming much more environmentally aware. And one photo had a huge impact on that awareness. It's on the cover of your order of service today. That's the so-called blue marble photograph of Earth that was taken December 7th 1972, by the crew of the Apollo 17 spacecraft. It showed white storm clouds swirling over blue oceans, brown continents, and ice-covered Antarctica. This image became the symbol of the environmental movement. If you were alive then, you probably saw it in covers of magazines, newspapers, and for years it was a cover of the popular Whole Earth Catalog. It became one of the most widely distributed images in human history. It also inspired songs like Peter Mayer's Blue Boat Home that we sang earlier. The wide universe is the ocean I travel, and the earth is my blue boat home. So that photograph changed my worldview. Instead of viewing the earth as a vast and limitless expanse, I suddenly understood that our planet was a place where resources are, in, are finite. I also realized we were just a tiny speck of life alone in a black space, so vast it was unimaginable. That blue marble photograph made clear there aren't a lot of alternatives if we screwed things up here. We needed to do better. And I think this is when my first real awareness of our interconnectedness occurred. It was a sense that we're all in this thing together, and what you do, what a million of us do, or even a billion of us do, is going to affect everyone on the planet. Of course, others had seen our interconnectedness much earlier, but just not so much in the areas related to the environment. In his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King wrote, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I think many UUs think of King's notion of interrelatedness when they read about the interconnected web of life in our seventh principle. And I see it, but it's the environmentalist aspect that, caught, that I found most compelling. 
and with the new ideas about interconnectedness that I'll be discussing later, it's even more relevant. For me, the next big intellectual shift came in 1979 when I read James Lovelock's book, Gaia, A New Look at Life on Earth. It proposed that living organisms and inorganic material are part of a dynamic system that shapes the Earth's biosphere and maintains the Earth as a fit environment for life. Wikipedia, a great source, notes that in some Gaia theory approaches, the Earth itself is viewed as an organism with self-regulatory functions. It's that, last, that last idea is what really captured my attention as a young adult, that the Earth itself could be viewed as a living organism with human beings just a tiny piece of an intricate system that keeps it functioning. It is a wonderfully pagan view of Earth and one shared by many Native peoples. We live on Mother Earth, and she sustains us. So do I believe the Earth is a living thing? I, I can't answer that. I simply don't know. But I love the image of us being just a tiny piece of this much larger organism. I love to ponder how the, all the natural systems of Earth have evolved together and seem to work together to sustain all living things. Rather than being isolated beings, we are part of this amazing and glorious network of life with energy and resources flowing from the air, land, and water into our bodies and back into the system. Maybe the sum of all these living pieces is itself a living organism of a type we just don't understand. I think Ed Abbey was trying to describe this mystery in this strange and wonderful home reading. How utterly rich and wild it would seem to a visitor from another planet, Abbey said. How far beyond the power of the craziest, spaced-out, acid-headed imagination, even a god's, even god's, to conjure up from nothing. I'd like you to play along with me for just a minute. Hold your hand up in front of your face and look at it. Really look at it. So this is you. Look at one of your neighbor's hands. That's somebody else. Pretty simple, right? Our sense of interconnectedness has long been based. You can put your hand down. <laughs> Our sense of interconnectedness has long been based on this clear and simple premise. I am one piece of something bigger. I'm me. I'm this hand. I'm a unit. I'm a piece. I'm a cog in this huge machine. When I move, everything else moves a little. It's all linked together. But I've come to realize in the last 10 years that our interconnectedness goes even deeper. Forgive me if I delve a little into science and medicine, but that's what's changing my worldview. Look at your hand again. I'm going to read this quote. The total number of microbes associated with our adult bodies exceeds the total number of our human cells by a factor of 10, says microbiologist Jeffrey Gordon at Washington University in St. Louis. 
So effectively, he says, we're sort of a super organism, one that's 90% microbial. So think about that. There are 10 times more things living on and in us than our own cells in our bodies. These organisms are things like bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and viruses. The majority live in our gut, but many are on our skin, around our eyes, and our mouths. Some we got from our mothers during birth. Some we find, some find a home in us as we eat food, drink water, breathe air, and do such things as kiss and hug. So scientists have named this assemblage of organisms living within and on us the microbiome. They're much smaller than ourselves, so although they're far more numerous, they don't take up a lot of space. The microbiome in the average one of you is about five pounds. So I think we've all been taught that bacteria were dangerous and unhealthy. This has led to our love affair with antibiotics. But what we're learning is that many of the microorganisms living in and on us are critical to good health. As a simple example, we know that bacteria in our gut help digest food. Without them, we'd have trouble producing vitamins such as B12, thiamine, and riboflavin. The Washington University researchers say the microbiome is essential for human development, immunity, and nutrition. The bacteria living in and on us are not invaders, but beneficial colonizers. And among the health problems that they've been able to link to disruptions in the microbiome include obesity, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Parkinson's disease, muscular dystrophy, and multiple sclerosis. So this is such a giant step forward in medicine. And we don't know exactly how it works or how to adjust it, but we know that the microbiome biome is critical to our health. Understanding it offers the potential for tremendous advances in medical care. So look at your hand again. Is that really just you? Or are you looking at what scientists call a super organism? Is this hand me or is it us? So that question has this profound impact on how I see the world. It's made me realize that I am not just a cog in this vast system of life. My own body is its own environment that supports not just my cells, but more than a thousand other species of life. It feels to me a lot like the Gaia hypothesis. There are the ideas that we're just a piece of a larger being, the earth. With the microbiome research, we realize our own bodies are like the earth and that each is made of a collection of different life forms that need to work in balance for us to be healthy. So what about that interconnectedness part? So we're learning that most of the microbiome actually comes from our mothers. As we slid down the birth canal, we were literally bathed in her fluids 
and carry many of those microorganisms the rest of our lives. This is part of our inheritance and a physical connection to our family and our past. We're learning that the microbiome of intimate partners becomes more and more similar the longer they're together. They touch, they kiss, make love, share food, live in the same environment. The longer they're together, the more interconnected they become. Even today, when we hold hands before leaving, the interconnectedness will be far more than a symbol. We're appropriately, appropriately reluctant to hold hands with someone coughing or sneezing. But even when we hold the hands of a healthy person, we're exchanging microorganisms. Each time we touch, we're becoming a little more connected. We're sharing our inheritance and becoming a little more alike. In the second reading, I quoted Carl Sagan's saying, a religion, old or new, that stressed the magnificence of the universe as revealed by modern science might be able to draw forth reserves of reverence and awe hardly tapped by conventional faiths. Sooner or later, such a religion will emerge. I believe the UU could be that religion, whether it's the beauty and fragility of our blue marble earth floating alone in space, the wonder of the intricate, interconnected environment of our Mother Earth, or the amazing superorganisms we call our bodies. All are deserving of reverence and awe. We are all connected and need to learn to live in harmony with the life around us and the life within us. Thanks.